Hello and welcome to Day 3 Live, the live broadcast of Sunday morning service at Day 3 Church in Granite Falls, North Carolina. You can learn more about our ministry at day3church.org or find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash d3church. Have you ever wondered what kind of impact one person can really make on the world? Do you struggle to know how you can really make a difference for the gospel in your current circumstances? Well, our current series is entitled Change. Will you let God use you to change your world? Please listen in as Pastor Lynn shares about the life of missionaries you may never have heard of and how their faithfulness made a significant change in their world. Here is Pastor Lynn. Father, you are wonderful and more than wonderful and more than great. You're holy. You're holy. And as we sang earlier, there is no one, there is no one, there is no one, there is no one like you. The one and only true God. And Father, we, uh, we are humbled this morning that we can worship and be separated by so much distance and yet be able to be together in this place and sense your spirit together. Father, as we worship you this morning, as we listen to the teaching of your word, we pray, Lord, that your word would penetrate deep, Lord, that you would plant those seeds in us so that what would come out of our lives would be the love of Christ and the hope of Christ and that the fruit of our life would, would feed and nourish lost and hungry souls who need to hear the gospel. And we would build our life on you alone. You're our firm foundation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Good morning, everyone. If you'll uh, take your Bible, I hope you have one close by, and turn to 1 Corinthians 15, and we will get there in just a moment, <clears throat> and I'll start reading verse 1 uh, in just a moment. Uh, we're finishing up a series that we've been doing for 10 uh, messages now uh, that deals with change, and we've been looking at uh, the lives of missionaries and, uh, and, and, and others and how God has uh, uh, used them to change our, our world. Uh, so we're trying to accept the challenge ourselves or challenge you also uh, that we as Christians, all of us as Christians are called upon by God uh, to make a difference. In, in the world. We've been called upon by him. We've been called upon by the uh, great commission words of Jesus uh, that you and I are supposed to change our world with the power of, of the gospel. So uh, uh, please be thinking about that. I appreciate uh, uh, the songs that John did, especially the last song uh, that he did uh, with us just being here on camera. Um, you couldn't see some of the things that was going on at that time, but that uh, the last song about how great they are was speaking to us some in a great way that uh, we're in the room. I hope it did to you uh, also. Uh, the missionary that we're focusing upon today uh, is Annie Armstrong. And you may have heard of her, especially if you're involved in Southern Baptist life, uh, because we have an Annie Armstrong Easter offering. 
that's coming up. So just a little bit about her life before we kind of jump into the message. Uh, Annie lived from 1850 to 1938. She was born in uh, Baltimore during a time when there wasn't a lot of opportunity uh, for women, to be honest with you, in those days. But the devotion that she had for Christ caused her to kind of push beyond uh, the current norms of that day and serve Christ in ways that maybe other people uh, were not. Uh, she took a primary lead in uh, trying to help support missionaries and uh, encourage them, encourage churches to give and support uh, missionaries in North America, especially uh, in America in that day and time. Uh, she traveled uh, all across America trying to encourage those churches and those missionaries. She traveled at her own expense. Uh, she said this one time, I will never give to the Lord that which costs me nothing. So she traveled uh, extensively at her own expense as she tried to encourage people to support uh, missions. Uh, a little bit more about her, some things that she did in her life. There was one year as she was serving as the director of the WMU uh, that she wrote 18,000 letters in one year. Now, before you write that off for a minute, let me remind you that she lived from 1850 to 1938. She couldn't copy and paste or anything like that. Think about writing 18,000 letters in one year. That, that's an average of 49.3 letters every day that she wrote. Uh, some other things about her life, some other contributions. She started uh, the Bayview Mission in Baltimore to help minister to the poor and the addicted people in uh, downtown Baltimore. Uh, she served as the first executive leader of the uh, Women's Missionary Union, the WMU, which was the largest uh, Protestant women's organization in the world. Uh, she led in the formation of missions organizations for children. Uh, she also raised support for missionaries to reach out to Italian and Jewish immigrants in America. She initiated uh, fundraising for building churches in Cuba. She gained support for the first black female missionaries, and she secured funds to relieve uh, Lottie Moon, who was a missionary to China, to try and help her. And then she was an advocate for Native Americans and also for the impoverished uh, mountain people uh, within America. In 1934, <clears throat> Annie Armstrong was was honored by the Southern Baptist Convention uh, Home Mission Board that's now called the North American Mission Board as they titled uh, the Home Mission Board offering that takes place at Easter uh, in her name to honor her for all that she had done, being a visionary leader when it came to missions. There, there's still people inspired to this day by what uh, Annie Armstrong did. Uh, today, uh, over $1 billion has been given through the Annie Armstrong Easter offering. Uh, anything that you give to the Annie Armstrong Easter offering, 100% of that is given uh, directly to support thousands of missionaries and new church plants across the United States and Canada, also in U.S. territories of Puerto Rico, uh, the Virgin Islands, Guam, uh, American Samoa. In those areas, there are three, there are 363 million people with 350 languages, 14 religions, and an estimated, please listen to this, an estimated 373 million people who are lost in sin have and never trusted Christ in his gospel. So that might be a shocking truth for many of us that live in, in America. Here's another shocking truth. 
Uh, many of our cities in North America today are being, being considered and looked at as though they're pre-Christian. In other words, it's like the gospel has not made any impact in those cities whatsoever. Right within our own Bible Belt, right within the uh, the southern part of America and all across America, America is being referred to as a as a post-Christian culture. Uh, and guys, we need to change that. Uh, it seems the influence is fading in Christianity in America. Like I said, even right here in the Bible Belt. So as the church in America, we need to start working to change that. And I want to challenge us today to think in that direction more. We need to change the pattern that we're seeing taking place of the loss of Christian influence within our own nation. First of all, we need to change that pattern by sharing the gospel with others. And I'm going to talk more detail about that in just a moment. Uh, every Christian, we need to function as a missionary ourselves as we live our lives wherever we find ourselves sharing the gospel. But we also need to give to help support missions in North America. Uh, this year's national goal uh, for the uh, uh, Annie Armstrong Easter offering is $70 million for the Annie Armstrong Easter offering. Our goal at Day 3 Church is $10,000, and I recognize we're in a strange time. Uh, it's harder to promote it. We don't know yet if we'll be here together on Easter or not, but please be praying about that, and let's give to help support missions in North America. I want to stop and thank you for how you supported international missions back at Christmas. Uh, our church went way beyond what we had ever done in the past uh, in what we gave toward our goal of $10,000. We went over $14,000 back at Christmas. And all that's great, and I thank you for what you did at Christmas. But guys, we also have the same goal, $10,000, here for our Easter offering. So I want you to think about this. Christmas is great, and we celebrate Jesus coming, but Easter is when we celebrate the fact that he died on the cross for our sins, and that he took his life back up. So we ought to be willing to give, you know, at least as much or more as we celebrate Easter. And here's a kind of logistical fact about that. It, if we fail to support missions at home, if we fail to support the planting of new churches in North America, if we fail to send out uh, home missionaries to help spread the gospel, there's coming a day that the support we send to international missions won't happen because we would have lost our land and we would have lost the influence here. So I hope you'll pray about that and be sure uh, that you give to help support uh, this Annie Armstrong Easter offering. Uh, but guys, here's the most important thing I want us to talk about today. Today. We need to share the gospel. We need to share the gospel. I had the opportunity back in the fall to uh, go to the North American Mission Board uh, for a few days uh, with Mike Pittman, who's our church planning team leader in North Carolina. And one of the things they gave us was this t-shirt that I'm actually wearing right now that, that says it's all about the gospel. So that's what I want us to, to talk about today, the fact that it is all about the gospel. So ask yourself, maybe even as we launch into looking at these scriptures, Evaluate your own life and ask yourself, is, is my life really all about the gospel? And if that's not the case, then maybe we need to make changes in our lives. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1 through 4, here's what the Apostle Paul wrote. Uh, now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you 
which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. Now, by that, he means this. The Bible teaches we have been saved from our sin. If you trust Christ as your Savior, we are being saved from our sin through the sanctification process. One day we'll ultimately be completely saved from sin and the presence of sin when we are there with the Lord. So that's what Paul is alluding to there. He said, by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised again on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. The context, a little bit of background to this Corinthian church that Paul's writing to, they were finding themselves in a time of trouble. Uh, for various reasons, it had been found out there was sexual immorality within the church at Corinth. Uh, it was found out that they had been uh, uh, practicing the Lord's Supper in a dishonoring way, not really discerning the, the Lord's body. Uh, it was also discovered that some of the people in Corinth, and I'll address this a little bit later, uh, they were rejecting the fact of the resurrection, the bodily uh, resurrection. So because of all those problems, he, he's writing this letter uh, to them, uh, and he's wanting to be sure and correct them when it came to returning and remembering the things of, of the gospel. Uh, and guys, we need to do the same thing. We need to recognize uh, the church is in trouble in some ways. We need to recognize uh, too often we're uh, hearing stories of uh, immorality, even sexual immorality in the church in America. Uh, we're hearing stories of people not being doctrinally true and understand what the Bible really teaches about salvation. For all those reasons, we need to kindly do what Paul said saying here in verse 1, he says, for I would remind you, brothers, and we're going to just remind ourselves today of the, of the gospel. I want us to consider these scriptures today as we're drawn toward Easter, but also in light of the great need of the gospel and hope we have in our world today. Guys, especially in light of what's taking place with this coronavirus in, in our world. We need to understand that in our nation and in our state and in our communities, and yes, all across the world, we need to understand they need the hope of the gospel. We need to remind ourselves of the gospel. We need to be sure we stand in, on, and for the gospel in this day in which we live. And we need to be sure the gospel is of first importance or the gospel is a priority in our lives. And let's make sure we know how to share three basic elements of the gospel that I want to share with you today that we're going to focus upon. So here's the first basic element of the gospel that we need to be sure we share with others as we share the gospel. Element number one is this, Christ died for our sins. Jesus Died for our sins. There in verse 3, Paul said this, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. I want you to notice three things there in that one verse, in verse number 3. First of all, Paul addresses the priority of the gospel. Because he said, I, for I delivered to you as of first importance. Paul clearly understood that the gospel needed to be a priority, that the gospel was of first importance. He understood how that needed to be shared, how we need to keep the gospel a first importance in our, our lives. And, and guys, in our churches and in the ministries that we have in our churches, we need to be sure the gospel is of first importance. Uh, social ministry is fine. There's nothing wrong with 
doing social ministry as long as we're doing social ministry to open the door in people's hearts and lives to share the gospel with them. Benevolent ministry is needed, but we need to understand this. The most benevolent thing you and I can ever do is share the gospel with someone. That's the most benevolent thing you and I can do that can change their life, not just in the, uh, the immediate interim, but we can change their life for all eternity through the power of, of the gospel. So the, the church uh, in this day and time, yes, we need to meet physical needs like Jesus did, but we need to understand, guys, it's of supreme importance. It's of first importance that the gospel is delivered to people. So not only notice the priority of the gospel, I want you to notice what all else Paul says here. Secondly, he talks about the passing on uh, to others the gospel message. He said, for I delivered to you what I also received. That this gospel that was of first importance that Paul is talking about, it's of such a priority. He said, I've delivered it to you. That the same gospel that Paul had received, he didn't keep it to himself. It's such a first priority. It's so important. It's of first importance that Paul said, what I received, I delivered to you also. I, I'm thankful for the gospel. I hope you are too. I'm thankful for what the gospel of Christ has done for me. Because it's not just for me. And it's not just for you. It is for the whole world. It's for everyone else. And that's why we need to pass the gospel on to other people. But the third thing I want you to see here in verse 3 is this. Not just the priority of the gospel or the passing on of the gospel, but, but notice the power of the gospel because this is probably the most important thing we need to get in verse number 3. The power of the gospel is this. Paul writes these words, that, that Christ died for our sins <coughs> in accordance with the scriptures. Now, if you've been around day three, those of you that are watching online and you're part of day three, you've heard me say this before, uh, probably several times in the past. Uh, the gospel is not this. The gospel is not that Jesus died on the cross and that he took his life back up. That's not the gospel. That might be good news, and that's what the word gospel means. That might be good news for Jesus, but that's not good news for us. The, the power of the gospel, guys, is this. The good news is that Jesus died for our sins. He died for my sins. He died for your sins. He died for the sins of the world. And that's what makes it good news that Jesus died for me and he died for you. He died to pay the full, full penalty for our sins on the cross. That's what makes it not just good news, but great news. And that's why it's the power of the gospel that Jesus Christ God's Son, God in the flesh, sinless Jesus, died for our sins. When sharing the gospel, <clears throat> we need to make clear to begin with for people that everybody has disappointed God. Everybody has offended God. Everybody ha has let God down. Everybody has done something wrong, including ourselves. And God calls that sin. Here's what the Bible says about that in, in Romans 3, verse 10, and then a little bit later in verse 23. The Bible says, none is righteous, no, not one. Uh, no one is righteous. We're not right with God just by ourselves. We can't become right just like we are by our own good works. In Romans 3, 23, it says, for all have sinned. That includes you, me, Billy Graham, everybody else. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We can't attain the glory of God by ourselves. We all fall short. So since all of us have sinned, the Bible teaches that sin has to be atoned for or paid for. 
All through the Old Testament, you, you get this picture of God's punishment for sin being death. The Old Testament law uh, allowed for a substitutionary sacrifice of animals to take place, uh, especially lambs to take place, uh, to be a substitute for us as a temporary payment for our sins. Uh, but those animals, they would inspect those animals and be sure those animals were, were perfect and spotless, and that's representing the sinlessness of Christ. And all those lambs were types and pictures of Jesus because he'd be the ultimate lamb of God who would come and fully once and forever pay for our sins. More about that in, in, in just a second. So we need to understand that everyone has sinned. We need to understand that sin must be atoned for. But, but Jesus was God in human flesh. The, the Father sent him to be the perfect, sinless, once and forever sacrifice payment for mankind's sin. Listen to Hebrews 10, 10. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Later on in Hebrews 10, 14, it says this. For by a single offering, he, talking about Jesus, has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Jesus offered himself. Jesus sat down. God's plan of salvation was finished. And folks, we need to point people to that. That's the power of the gospel that Jesus died once and for all for our sins. And that's what we need to trust in. Second main element of the gospel this morning is this. Not only did Jesus die for our sins, but in the second part of uh, Corinthians uh, verse 3, in the first part of Corinthians verse 4, we, we can see this, that Christ actually died and was buried. That's the second main part of the gospel. Christ actually was dead and buried. Look at the end of verse 3, that Christ died. And then the first part of verse 4, that he was buried. Now, that might sound like elementary stuff that you've heard before, but the background of that is this. There are a lot of people that try to deny the bodily death in the resurrection of Jesus. A lot of people will come up with erroneous excuses, uh, and they'll say things like this. Well, Jesus didn't really die. He just kind of swooned away a little bit. He passed out because of all that he had gone through. And then when they placed him in a tomb, the coolness of the tomb kind of caused him to wake back up. So he never really died. So he, he didn't really take his life back up is the argument that some people make. The problem with that is this, and I'm going to point you to some scriptures today that uh, I'm not going to read all of them. I'll just point you there. You can read them later. If you're a member of Day 3 Church and on our Day 3 Share, we sent out the full sermon file to you, uh, every bit of it, not just a fill in the blank guy, but all of us, you can read through it uh, later. But, but in John 19, verse 31 through 37, what we find take place there is this, the Roman soldier wanting to be sure that Jesus had died, comes over and he takes a spear and he thrusts it in the side of Jesus and it goes up all the way into his heart because the Bible says, out came blood and water. Now, medical science will say in order for that to happen, that sack around the heart, that will also have blood, but also have some water there, that for that to come out like that, that what happened was this. After Jesus gave his 
spirit over to the Father. After he had screamed out, it is finished. And by the way, Jesus said, it is finished. He said, I paid everything necessary for your sin, everything necessary for you to be saved. I paid it in full. And then when he commended his spirit, the Bible says that he did that. But medical scientists said in order for that water and blood to come out in the way that it did, his heart had to explode within his chest. Jesus, no one took his life from him. Uh, Jesus commended his spirit to the Father. But we've got full evidence that he actually really died because that spear was thrust all the way into the heart of Jesus. So, so guys, don't believe any false stories that, hey, well, he just fell asleep or he just kind of passed out. The, the Bible teaches he really died. But the Bible also teaches this. It teaches that Jesus was buried. And the reason I want you to, to, the reason I want to point you to that truth is this. After Jesus had died and they took him off the cross, Joseph of Arimathea, along with Nicodemus, they came and asked Pilate for the right to take the body of Jesus and prepare it for burial. So they went and they took his body and they carried his body and they, they cleaned his body and they're preparing his body for, for burial. So here's the thing I want you to get from that. Do you not think that Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, who came to Jesus by night, as they are that intimate with the body of Jesus, as they are carrying the body of Jesus and carrying the body of Jesus, trying to prepare for burial, don't you think those men would have realized, you know what, he's still alive. He didn't ever really die. So don't believe the false truths that some people try and put out there to deny the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus. We'll talk more about his resurrection in, in a moment. Um, the point is simply this, guys. He really died, and through that burial process, people would have known for sure whether he was dead uh, or not. I want you to consider the measures that Pilate took at the tomb to make the tomb secure, and I'll detail that out more in just a moment, but the background of that is this. The Jewish leaders knew that Jesus had said that he was going to take his life back up, and they went to Pilate, and they said, please make the tomb secure because we're afraid that some of his disciples will come and steal his body away, and then they will go out and make it look like Jesus did what he said he was going to do by taking his life back up from the dead. And you can find that in Matthew uh, 27, verse 62 through 66. So Pilate, to make the Jewish leaders happy, he took extreme measures that we'll talk about here in just a moment to be sure the tomb is secure. In that moment... The tomb was made so secure by these steps taken by Pilate and requested by the Jewish leaders that what happened was this. What they requested eventually becomes the most undeniable evidence that Jesus died and that he took his life back up that we could possibly have. They were wanting to do away with the evidence that Jesus could possibly have raised from the dead. But what they do is give us undeniable evidence that he really took his life from the dead by what they did at, at the tomb. So the third essential that we always need to share with people concerning the gospel is this. Yes, Jesus died for our sins. Yes, Jesus really, really died and he was really buried. But the third thing is this, guys. Christ arose from the dead. Christ arose from the dead. That's why we celebrate Easter. That's what Easter is all about. He arose from the dead. Look, look at, at verse Four, the second part of verse 4. In, in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 4b, the, the Bible says that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. 
He, he died. It had been prophesied that he was going to be the Messiah. He'd be that full sacrificial lamb that would take away the sin of mankind. It had been foretold in the scriptures. But it's also foretold according to the scriptures that he was raised on the third day. Now, you see, the, the, the Greek people, for the most part, did not believe in the physical body resurrection of anyone. They believe when someone died, that that spirit that was trapped within a body is released, and that spirit would go on for eternity, but there would not be a bodily uh, resurrection. So a lot of these Corinthian believers, because Corinth was kind of right in the center of Greek culture, uh, they were having a hard time accepting the fact that there would be a literal resurrection from the dead. But see, Christianity, by contrast, asserts that the body and the soul will be united after the resurrection. Paul clearly points that out and clearly teaches that in several places. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15, take time and read all of it. It's one of the most comprehensive arguments for the resurrection of Jesus you can find in the entire Bible. And here's why it's important. Because Christ rose bodily from the dead, that gives us abundant evidence that he did everything necessary for us to be saved. That gives us abundant, uh, abundant evidence that, that our sins have been forgiven and we have the promise of, of a resurrection and eternal life as well because of the resurrection of Jesus. The bodily resurrection of Christ is at the center of the Christian faith because you see guys that teaches us this. Jesus is alive uh, and he is actively representing us. The Bible says before God, he's there at the right hand of the father. He's there praying for us today because Jesus defeated death. We have the hope of eternal life through faith in Jesus Christ. Christ's resurrection guarantees us that his promises are true. The resurrection of Jesus proves that he fully satisfied the just demands of the Father. He fully paid for our sin, and he fully defeated death. The resurrection of Jesus shows that he has full authority over the grave, over death, over sin, over Satan, and over hell. When sharing the gospel with others, we don't need to leave this element out because the fact that he took his life back up gives us the argument, the evidence, the proof we need to say, look, because he did what he said he was going to do, but taking his life back up, that gives us a foundation and evidence to believe everything else Jesus said, to believe all the rest of the gospel. So I want to show you three things, talk about three things real quick before we finish about the resurrection of Christ, about him raising from the dead. First of all is this, the resurrection of Jesus was prophesied in the Old Testament. It had been foretold in the Old Testament. Let me give you a couple of instances of that. Psalm 16, verse 9 through 11. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or to the grave, to let your Holy One see corruption. You will make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So that passage in Psalms is foretelling of the resurrection of Jesus, that his body would not be abandoned in the grave, that his body would not see corruption. And on the other side of the grave, there's going to be the, the pathway of, of life, uh, of eternal life that the Savior shows us in the presence of God. And that's where he is. He's in the presence of his Father. Jesus is God himself, the second part of the triune God. But now he's in the presence of his Father. And he said, in your presence, there's fullness of joy at your right hand. And that's where Jesus is sitting today, at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Also in Isaiah 
Chapter 25, verse 7 and 8, we find a, a prophecy about the resurrection of Jesus. The Bible says this, and he, referring to Christ, he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord will wipe away tears from all faces. And the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. So Isaiah is being inspired of God the Father to, to say this. Jesus, his son, on that mountain of Calvary, he, he's going to swallow up that, that, that covering that was cast over all peoples, that sin problem that we had. And Jesus is going to take care of that. He's going to swallow up through his death and resurrection. He's going to swallow up death forever. And through faith in Jesus, all of our tears will be wiped away from our eyes. One day in heaven, Revelation speaks about that. And the reproach of, of, of the people that trust in him will be taken away from the earth and God has spoken that. So the resurrection of Jesus wasn't a new thing. The resurrection had been promised. It had been prophesied in the Old Testament. But secondly, the resurrection was also promised by Jesus himself. Because in Matthew 17, verse 23 through 23, here's what Jesus said. As they were gathering in Galilee, Jesus said to them, the son of man is about to be delivered into the hands of men and they will kill him and he will be raised on the third day. Guys, by, by Jesus' own words, he puts his own character at stake. He, he puts the truth of his own words at stake. He puts his own deity that he so clearly claimed to have <coughs> at stake. Hey, had Jesus not risen from the dead, specifically, had he not risen on the third day like he said he would? We'd have reason to doubt whether the gospel's true. We'd have reason to doubt whether we could believe anything that Jesus has said. Had he not kept his word and risen again on the third day. But he did keep his word. And he did rise again on the third day. Can I ask you a question? Do you know anybody else that's done that? <laughs> you know anybody else that said, hey, I'm going to rise again. I'm going to take my own life up back on the third day. There have been other people that have said it. No one else has pulled it off except Jesus. And guys, that tells me we ought to trust the validity of his word. We, we ought to trust in, in, in his gospel. We ought to trust in what he has done for us on the cross. Jesus promised he would rise from the dead, and he did. Third thing about proving the resurrection of Christ, the fact that he rose from the dead and why we need to focus upon this, it was told about in the Old Testament. Jesus promised he would do it, and he did. But the, resur the, but the resurrection of Jesus was also proven at the tomb. I kind of alluded to that a moment ago. We're going to talk about the details of it. The resurrection of Jesus was proven at the tomb and beyond the tomb. So let's talk about at the tomb for a moment. Because those religious leaders, those Jewish leaders that I referred to just a few minutes ago, asked Pilate to secure the tomb. Here's what he did. He sealed the tomb. He had the stone put there, had it sealed. And he had the signet of his ring, which represented the authority of all the Roman government, placed there upon that tomb. Now, here's the significance of that. If anyone were to break that seal, guess what happens to them? If they're caught breaking that seal, they would have been executed. They themselves would have been put to death. So factor that in for a minute. It is sealed, and anyone caught trying to open that tomb would be put to death. So that starts to 
limit or minimize the fact that anybody came and stole his body away trying to make it look like he really took his life back up. Now, not only did he do that, he posted some Roman soldiers there. Not just any Roman soldiers. He posted an elite group of Roman soldiers to guard the tomb. And if you want to think of it in these terms, I've alluded to it like this before, I think last year back at Easter. If you want to get in your mind the kind of soldiers that he posted at the tomb, think of our Navy SEALs in this modern day and time. He posted some people there that were highly trained. He posted some people there that were highly dedicated. And he posted soldiers there that were bad dudes, more or less. And they were trained how to guard an area. Uh, when they went in and had a particular territory they were guarding, they would divide up that ground in a grid-type pattern. And each one of those Roman soldiers would have their own part of the grid that they were to protect and be sure nothing happened and nothing walked through there without their knowledge of it. So the reason that's significant is this also. No one's just going to sneak through and them not see that it took place. Some people will say, well, here's what really happened. The Roman soldiers fell asleep, and while this special elite guard was asleep, then some people, his disciples or whoever, came and stole the body of Jesus away to make it look like he was raised from the dead. Well, that might sound like a good argument until you go back to what I said a moment ago. (laughs) These Roman soldiers, so highly trained and so dedicated, This elite Navy SEAL type group, if you want to get a picture in your mind of what they would be like in this day and time, they were set there understanding that if they were to fall asleep, if if just one of those soldiers fell asleep and that was discovered, you know what would happen? Not only would that one soldier that fell asleep be executed, all the rest of the group of soldiers with him, they all also would be executed. So guys, here's what I'm telling you. Those Roman soldiers didn't go to sleep. (laughs) Those Roman soldiers knew at the cost of their own life, they had to stay on guard. They had to stay awake. They had to stay alert. There's no one that snuck through their territory, all those individual divided up territories to to where someone could have snuck away with the body of Jesus. So that just adds to the evidence. What the, what the Jewish leaders were hoping to minimize, that anyone could believe that Jesus really took his life from the dead, guess what? They gave us abundant evidence. They give us a logical argument. They give us all we need to believe that Jesus really took his life from the grave because of how they were posted there and guarding the tomb. And no one would have come in trying to overtake those elite soldiers. No one would have done that especially not a tag-tag bunch like the disciples were, some that had been fishermen and tax collectors and, you know, various backgrounds. They, they wouldn't have came in and, and tried to take the body of Jesus. Even though those guys were such bad dudes, you know what happened when the resurrection took place? <laughs> they fell as though they were dead. When the ground began to shake because of the earthquake, they fell as though they were dead. These really, really bad men became so paralyzed in fear. And the angel came in and rolled the stone away, not to let Jesus out. Uh, They didn't have to let him out. Evidence of that later on when the disciples are gathered together for fear of the Jews. And Jesus just appears in the house where the doors are closed and the windows are locked. Jesus took his life back up, but they came and they, they rolled the stone away. This angel did, and these, these strong men, these soldiers were paralyzed with fear. And here's the truth behind that. No, no matter how well-trained those soldiers were, they couldn't stop the resurrection of Jesus. 
The power and the authority of the Roman government could not stop the resurrection of Jesus. All of hell and all the, the, the seeming power that Satan might have could not stop the resurrection of Jesus. He died, he was buried, but he took his life back up, just as he said he would. And what happens there at the tomb gives us evidence that the resurrection of Jesus is true. But not just at the tomb, beyond the tomb. And I'm just going to give you some instances of it. You can read it later. But Jesus appeared a lot of times on the other side of his death, burial, and resurrection. He appeared to many people. Mary Magdalene at the tomb. Mark 16 and John 20. Other women at the tomb. Matthew 28. Verse 8 through 10. Two disciples on the road to Emmaus. Mark 16, Luke 24. Peter in Jerusalem, Luke 24, and it's alluded back to in 1 Corinthians 15, 5. Eleven disciples and others in Luke 24. Ten disciples when Thomas was not with them in John chapter 20. Eleven disciples with Thomas with them in Mark 16 in John chapter 20. Seven disciples by the Sea of Galilee in John 21. Eleven disciples on a mountain, Matthew 28, Mark 16, alluded back to from 1 Corinthians 15. According to 1 Corinthians 15, verse 6, Jesus appeared to 500 people at once. And at the time that was written about, most of those people were still alive. And they would have said, hey, what you're writing about Paul is not true if it were not true. He appeared to James also, according to 1 Corinthians 15. The disciples on his ascension in Mark 16, Luke 24, Acts chapter 1, and 1 Corinthians 15, once again, alludes back to, to that appearance of Jesus. And then he also appeared to Paul on the road to Damascus when he met Paul there, and Paul came to, to, to faith in Jesus. That's taught in Acts chapter 9, Acts chapter 22, Acts chapter 26, and also alluded back to from 1 Corinthians 15. I didn't include this in the notes, but in Revelation, you see him walking among the candlesticks, and he's the one there communicating with John on the Isle of Patmos. Guys, all I want you to go away from this message with today is understanding this. It is all about the gospel. It is all about the gospel. The gospel message is what means of people need to hear all across this world. It's what means of people need to hear about right in America, right, right in North America. It's the most powerful message we can share because through the gospel, God will transform lives. He'll transform our nation. He'll transform North America. He can transform the world through the gospel message. It's this gospel that Southern Baptist missionaries in North America share and live out in their lives. This gospel being so shared in North America is what we support through our prayers and gifts to the Annie Armstrong Easter offering. Guys, I understand as we, as we listen to the news or we look on social media or we see entertainers and what they say, we, we see that North America seems to be sliding away from the Christian values more and more in the spiritual darkness and that can be very overwhelming and very discouraging for us to where we just almost say well let's throw up our hands what's the use yet i want you to understand something the gospel hasn't lost its power 
And the reason the gospel hasn't lost its power is that God has not lost his power. He's still on the throne, and the gospel still changes lives. It will still transforms lives today as it did thousands of years ago. The, the gospel is needed just as much. Let me change that. It's needed even more than it was in the day of Annie Armstrong when she was so trying to spread mission work and support mission work. She spent her life supporting missions and sharing the gospel, and we need to do the same thing. And as you try and share the gospel, let's remember these three basic elements of the gospel. Jesus died for our sins. You need to recognize that. You need to repent and admit that you're a sinner. You can't save yourself. Jesus died for our sins. He was actually died. He actually buried. It's not some false story, some fairy tale. We've got evidence from all the stories surrounding his death and his burial that, that it was true. And Christ rose from the dead just like he said he would. We've got abundance of evidence of his, of his resurrection by, by the stories that I told you earlier, the background stories that, that what happened there at the tomb and what Jesus claimed he would do himself. He took his life back up to give us the confidence that we can believe his words and believe his gospel and, and by doing so have everlasting life. Annie Armstrong once said this, what a glorious thing it is to be a co-worker with God in winning the world for Christ. I'm going to pray for you, and, and, and John's going to come to another song. Before he does so, I, I want you to think about your life and where you are with God right now. I know it's easy to be really distracted by all the things that's taking place in our world, but you know what we are finding as we look at situations through North Carolina Church Planning Team and through the North American Mission Board and International Mission Board? You know what we're finding? There seem to be more people all of a sudden. They've been stopped in their tracks. And they're having to look somewhere for solutions. Last week during our live feed, we had probably four times the number of people eventually watch our live feed than only watch it. That tells me that, that some people are looking for hope. In, in another live feed service that John kind of alluded to, we're going to start using. There's a way for people to click on that and say, raise their hand. They trusted Christ as their Savior. Last Sunday, they had 28,000 people, over 28,000 people click that, saying they trusted Christ as their Savior. So guys, I, I feel certain people are looking for hope. And maybe you're that person that's looking for hope. Maybe you don't know where you stand with God. You're not prepared for eternity. You're not absolutely sure you've been forgiven of your sins. And if you were to leave this world through the coronavirus or whatever else, you're not ready to meet God. I want to encourage you right now to pray with me and for you to admit you're a sinner, agree with God, repent of your sin. That means you're turning from your sin, you're looking to God. And you believe in this gospel we've talked about. You believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, that he fully paid for your sins, and your only hope is trusting in him, trusting in his gospel, accepting that is true, asking God to come in your heart and your life and save you and lead you and guide your life. That's the only hope you have is Jesus. Will you join me in prayer? Father, I, I thank you for the opportunity we've had to share from your word today. Father, those that have joined in with us through the uh, internet, through whatever way they might have joined or will see it this week. Father, I pray you challenge each heart to evaluate their lives and ask themselves if their life is really all about the gospel. 
Father, I pray for the members of Day 3 Church that you would help us to remember the priority of the gospel. God, ask us as a church, ask all the hearts of members of Day 3 Church if it's really all about the gospel in our life. We're making our life all about the gospel. And if we're not, God, forgive us and, and spur us on to share the gospel. But Father, there's someone there that has never, ever trusted Jesus as Savior. Help them right now to have the faith they need. Help them to understand that Jesus did die for them, died for their sins, fully paid for their sins. Help them understand the gospel is true. He was really dead. He was buried. But he took his life back up just like he said he would to prove his word, to prove we can believe his gospel, to prove he did everything necessary to finish God's plan of salvation. But Father, right now, I pray if there's anyone here that needs Christ as Savior, I pray right now, Father, that they'll pray to you and that they'll trust in Jesus. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. If you pray to receive Christ as your Savior, how about sending us a message through our Facebook page? Or how about contacting us through our, uh, through our website? Uh, those of you that know how to reach uh, myself or Daryl or John uh, individually, uh, do that if you just pray to receive Christ. Uh, maybe you already know him and you made a decision that you want to make your life more about the gospel. Please let us know about that also. We hope you guys have um, had a great time worshiping with us and that your, your <clears throat> hearts have been open to the gospel message this morning. If you're a guest with us this morning, if you've tuned in today and you're not uh, normally in attendance at day three, we want you to know few things. First of all, um, God loves you. Uh, second of all, we love you. And if there's anything we can do to serve you, to help minister to you, please contact us. You guys can reach out to us through um, Messenger, uh, the Messenger app and Facebook. Uh, you can also reach out to us through our website, day3church.com. And if there's any information that you need, please let us know. Um, if you prayed to receive Christ this morning, please, please, please tell us. We would love to walk with you in this newness uh, that you are experiencing right now. The Bible says that if any man is in Christ, the old has passed away and all things are made new. And we believe that if you prayed to receive Jesus today, that that happened for you. And so we want to help you uh, to walk with him in a way uh, that honors him and that helps you and supports you. So uh, we just want you to know we love you. Please, please, please be in prayer for the folks you know who do not know the Lord and take every opportunity you can to share Christ with them. And we hope that you guys have a great day. We'll see you next week. Pastor Lynn has given us a lot to consider today. It can be very difficult to keep our focus when circumstances are hard. I'm thankful that in those times, God remains faithful. Maybe you would like to talk to someone about how you can impact your world for Christ in a greater way. Maybe you would like to know more about what it means to follow Jesus. Would you please contact us? You can reach out to us through our website, day3church.org, or on Facebook at facebook.com slash d3church. We care about you, and we want to connect with you. We're here to help. Until next time, this is Pastor John reminding you that God is greater than your circumstance, and His mercies are new every morning. It's time to experience a new day in your life.